So Aaron, after our last uh, road trip to Seattle, you were mentioning on Facebook that you needed something to uh, settle your stomach. Uh, was that a knock on my driving, perhaps? Or? Yeah, I knew you would. I, I knew you would see it that way. But no, not at all. It's just some of the food we eat en route. I sometimes need a mint to just, you know, help me digest. Because some of those fast food places, Tony, you know, they're not the best. No, especially in the 50s. Boy. <laughs> the best milkshakes on the planet, mind you. But oh, of not. course. Of course. But I don't mm. know. I don't know. I mean, I, I, I can feel the arteries harden as I eat it. So, yeah. No, well, no, you're, right. you're a great driver. You're a great driver. Honest. <laughs> Uh, we are going to be going back to 1954 uh, to New York City. And you know what? I love New York City. Any time period. My f- one of my favorite places. Me too. Me too. I, I, I miss going there so much. I love New York City. And of course, I have a daughter who lives there, which makes it all the more reason I want to go there. But uh, yeah, I love that city. Love it. Yeah, me too. Well, we're going back to a time way before your daughter was born. But uh, are you Before we for... were born. Before yes. we were born. Before... Yes, before we were born. Are you ready for a road trip? Uh, let me get my seatbelt on, okay? Okay, here we go. Maps? Check. Snacks? Double check. Tunes? Check. I'm Tony Stewart. I'm Aaron Badgley. And we are cruising the rock and roll highway in our way back music machine. Are you ready, my friend? I sure am. I have the feeling this is going to be the start of a great adventure. Kind of a magical mystery tour. Somehow I knew you were going to say that. Can you imagine having to drive through the Lincoln Tunnel every day to get into Manhattan? It'd be uh, almost as bad as Toronto, I think. Maybe maybe worse. I, I have a joke. Okay. Do you know why New Yorkers never use the expression, there's a light at the end of the tunnel? No, why? Because it's Jersey. (laughs) (laughs) Apologies to any listeners in Jersey there. (laughs) Hey, New Jersey's, you know, New Jersey should be used to their knocks. Anyways, I like that joke. It's one of my favorite. (laughs) Yeah, that's a great one, actually. I'll remember that. Yeah, it's a good So, we've got to uh, jump back to an incredibly important moment in rock and roll history. Um... Can you dial in 195.4 on the radio? 195.4. There we go. Excellent. Hi, my name is Sandy Becker. You've probably heard me telling about Lucky's Better Taste. Well, here's someone else who's found that Lucky's taste better. America's prettiest golf pro, Miss Alice Bauer. After a hard day out on the golf course and really hard competition... I like to come in and sit down and relax and light up a Lucky. I guess that's a matter of taste, too. But to me, Lucky's taste better. And here's America's comic poet laureate, Ogden Nash. If you ask me why I smoke and like Lucky's, I can only say that they taste better. And America's greatest professional tennis player, Jack Kramer. Like anything else where you get a choice, amateur or professional tennis, for example, it's all a matter of taste. And I like the way Lucky's tastes. Yes, it's all a matter of tastes. And Lucky's do taste better. Cleaner, fresher, smoother. The reasons? Lucky Strike means fine tobacco. And Lucky's are made better. So be happy. Go Lucky. 
Man, those uh, cigarette commercials in the 50s uh, were hilarious. Getting okay. <laughs> athlete endorsements. I, I, you got to love it. I, I, I do. I, I actually was watching an old movie on the weekend, and the, the doctor was talking to a pregnant woman, and he's smoking. Yeah, I had to, I had my kids do a project about advertisements in the fifties, and uh, one of them, they, you know, they were talking about an ad recommending cigarettes to pregnant women. Oh yeah. <laughs> I, the, the only thing they didn't recommend was cigarettes for kids, but although I'm sure somewhere along the line there was uh, a commercial for that, you know. But well, you know, as we pull into Manhattan here, it always strikes me when we travel back into the past uh, to New York City because. It's just so different, you know. I know the World Trade Center hasn't gone up yet, but uh, we just passed the site of that, and that'll be that'll be coming not too far in the future. Yeah, but still, uh, still a beautiful city, even in 1954. I mean, you had the Empire State Building. Oh, it's gorgeous. I mean, you had all these, and 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 even then, the history was was incredible, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think my favorite building is the Chrysler Building. It's just beautiful. I love that building. We should one day take a visit to the. Um, the place where they run the Brill Building. Yes. We should do that one day. Yeah, we should. Because right now well, we're, go- we're going to Pythian Temple Studios, right? We certainly are. It's April 12th, 1954. And the big moment is this is the day that Bill Haley and his Comets recorded the first big breakout rock and roll hit, Rock Around the Clock. And... What a moment that was. They didn't realize it at the time, I don't think, but uh, what an absolutely momentous occasion in rock and roll history. And have you ever seen a less likely-looking rock star? Oh, for sure. (laughs) You know, he was no Elvis, no Gene Vincent, no Buddy Holly. He had that little kiss curl in the front, you know. Yeah, and he was in his 30s, too. He was in his (laughs) early 30s, correct? Like He was just the most unlikely rock star there was, but... uh, what a humongous! This is one of the biggest selling singles of all time. And, and before, yeah, and before twenty five million, and before we got in the truck, you were talking. I'm sorry, the van, the Wayback Machine. You were talking about the Sunny Day in His Nights version. Um, yes, because uh, a lot of people don't know this, but Bill Haley was not the first to record this song. Uh, an Italian American band called Sunny Day and His Nights did it a little earlier, and. Uh, they actually did some research into the song and, and found out that it was, they thought at first it was written in 53, but they've traced it back to 1952 now. And uh, Sunny Day and His Nights did a version of it, and we were talking uh, before the trip. I don't know that you could qualify Sunny Day's version as a rock and roll song, per se. You know, no, it, 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 it's more, I mean, Bill Haley, too. I mean, it was almost bordering big band at times, right? I mean, it was... Yes. I see if I can find that to put on the playlist, the sunny day, because it's a good version. It's a, it's, it's different, you know. So yeah, see. it's very different, and I mean, obviously recognizable as this song. But uh, boy, this song was the uh, voice of uh, an entire generation, and it was used later on on Happy Days, and of course, you know, it did all right, and then it broke out because of a film called Blackboard Jungle. Now you're a teacher. You're yes. a teacher. Have you seen Blackboard Jungle? I have. Have you seen it? I have indeed. It's a great movie. Yeah. Fun for it. It's fantastic. Yeah. It yeah. is a fantastic film. Very, very interesting. We talked about it a little bit in our history class, you know, and just about the, the paranoia of the time and the, the idea of juvenile delinquency and, and all those fears and how the outrage, of course, when rock and roll became a thing. And, and 
to me, even though, you know, I'm a jazz guy, I'm a jazz musician, but I've always found rock and roll history so fascinating because it really was such a game changer for society, uh, even more than jazz was, well, in my opinion. Sociologically speaking, it, 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 it invented the teenager. Oh, well, that's mean, right. I mean, before rock and roll, and this is no slight against jazz, I mean, you had the Bobby Soxers who loved Frankie, Frankie Sinatra, Frank Sinatra, but rock and roll basically invented the teenager. We wouldn't, I mean, that, that's where it all started, folks. And, and the advent of the 45 single, which was cheap, you could buy it in the store, it was, it was durable, and all of a sudden, post-war, everything shifted, right? Big time. And this well, song was right. the main reason for that. Well, that's right. The invention of the teenager and the invention of the teenager with a part-time job and some money right. to spend. Right. And what better thing to spend it on than 45s, right? Well, and, and you mentioned Blackboard, Blackboard Jungle. I, ha- I would be remiss if I didn't talk about the fact that in England, when Rock Around the Clock came on in that film, they were rioting in the movie theaters, which... This is going to shock you, Tony, because I know we, we, we talk about how liberal England is, but it ended up earning the film a ban. They, they banned the film out. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I'm not that shocked, considering all the times the BBC banned uh, songs, but yep. They were tearing up seats in movie theaters when they first showed it. Um, I, I don't know why, because I don't know. But anyway, so yeah, ladies and gentlemen, back in 1954 when... Blackboard Jungle was shown in England. It was it was completely banned because it was and it was a scary film. I mean, it was like an invasion of young people who were rebelling. Well, there was mouthy. a rape. There was a rape scene in there. I mean, oh, it was yeah. it was uh, yeah, hardcore for sure. And um, but that movie really pushed this song over the top, and it really amped up the paranoia. But you know, this recording session at uh, Pythian Temple Studios. Uh, they had to do it twice because on the first take, his uh, vocals got completely overshadowed by the band. Yeah. And so, and then they ended up taking the second take and the first take and kind of mixing them together to produce the final version. But uh, what an iconic song and what a huge moment in rock and roll history. And that's, and that's another first, but well, not first, but up until that point, they weren't, they weren't playing with tape the way they did with that song. They were, they were mixing and they were, even the opening with the drum beat, I mean, that was kind of revolutionary how the song kicks off. I mean, no other songs kicked off like that. Um, and, and Bill Haley, I mean, let's be, let's be honest, he had a huge amount of hits after that too, right? Mm-hmm. See You Later, Alligator, Shake, Rattle and Roll. He had a career in the 50s. He, and then when people started seeing him, they were going, he's not a kid. <laughs> no, exactly. And in fact, when uh, Jerry Lee Lewis uh, had his interview at Heathrow Airport in uh, London not gone so poorly and the kids couldn't wait to see him because they realized that Bill Haley was you know he was an old guy if you're a teenager right if you're in your 30s you're a dinosaur and uh, there was this good looking kid Jerry Lee Lewis who I mean totally destroyed his career in about 10 minutes when he got off the plane (laughs) and numerous pianos too well that's Um, right but, you know, I mean, and Bill Haley was very conscious of, of what he recorded. I mean, he he said, you know, later on in life, we stay clear of anything suggestive. You know, he he wanted songs that would not offend anybody. Um, you know, and in fact, um, he would change the lyrics so they weren't too suggestive. We take, he said, we take a lot of care with, care with lyrics because we don't want to offend anybody. The music 
the music is the main thing. And uh, Chuck Berry inducted him into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 1987. So that yeah. Was, that's pretty cool. Chuck Berry to induct you into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Well, that's right, because... Uh, they, uh, all these artists at the time, all these white artists were fully aware of the debt that they owed to black musicians, right? I mean, mm-hmm. that was, that was uh, certainly, they, they were aware of it uh, in terms of white audiences. I think it was just becoming uh, on their right radar because before that, everything had been segregated. But uh, that's the other great thing about the advent of rock and roll, right? Is it really did push forward civil rights, I think, in a way that nothing else did. Well, yeah, and, and I mean, you read these stories about white kids digging black artists. And, well, okay, you know, not to go back to the Beatles and the Stones, but these kids in Liverpool and England were listening to the black artists of the day. And and a lot of them hadn't even made it in America. Arthur Alexander comes to mind, or, you know, these kind of people that were doing these great records. But, yeah, you're right. I think it started breaking down a few barriers. It took a long time, I mean... We had those horrible cover versions by Pat Boone, <laughs> where, he, <laughs> where he would record. Have you ever heard him do um, Little Richard? Yes. Yes, pretty rough. Um, you know, oh, for sure, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Please stop Pat Boone now. <laughs> now, w- wouldn't you like to be a, w- a fly on the wall in this recording session that's uh, going on right now in Pythian Temple Studios? I mean... Just, you know, I'd love to be able to say, guys, this is going to be historic. You have no idea right now what you're about to do. But, you know, come on. Like, really, give it your all here. That, that would be amazing, wouldn't it? Oh, you know, it would be. It would be It would be fascinating to hear what they were thinking. You know, did they think it was going to be going to be a hit? I mean, or were they just hoping for the best? I don't know. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, that, you know... I really wish these sessions were filmed or documented in some way or, you know, I have a lot of um, albums where you have you can hear the session people talking, like the Beatles doing A Day in the Life and stuff, and it's fascinating. But that would be great. It'd be 1954, Bill Haley and the Comets in this little studio in New York City, no doubt probably steaming hot, you know, because there's probably no ventilation. And, That's uh, right. They just cut it, and they did it fast, and they did it furious, and look what happened. Well, that's right. History in the making. Well, you know what, Aaron? This has been a fantastic trip back. Before we leave this, I I think what's important is to look at the top five of that week. Oh, right. Right, right. Here's Bill Haley in the studio, and here's what's in the top five, folks. The Four Nights with I Get So Lonely, and that's not the Elvis Presley Heartbreak Hotel. Patty Page, Cross Over the Bridge. Doris Day, Who I Love, uh, Secret Love. Perry Como, Mr. Relaxation, with a oh. song called... <laughs> it's true. I'm, I'm thinking of the SCTV impersonation. <laughs> I know. Eugene Levy, right? Uh, me too. Yeah. With the sweaters. I'll, 100%. <laughs> number two is Perry Como with Wanted. And number one is a singer who I grew up listening to because my mom loved her. Is Joe Stafford, Make Love to Me. Um, and she had a great voice. I mean, it's, it's a shame that she's kind of disappeared in history, but she did have a great voice. Yeah, for sure. That's an interesting list. Yeah, my grandfather was a big Perry Como fan, actually. So was he? I, I, yeah, I grew up listening to those records, yeah. Did you ever watch the Perry Como Christmas specials? Uh, you know what? I probably did. I don't remember them very well. <laughs> but. <laughs> so, I mean, you look at that top five, you look at what people were listening to on the radio in 1954, 
I would like to know how people reacted the first time they heard, you know, one, two, three, you know, that's been just like, wow, what the heck is hitting us here, right? Oh, that's right. Well, you know what? Before we head to our next destination, I think we should pull over and grab a hot dog because we're in New York and uh, let's do that first. And then uh, we'll punch in this time on the radio 198.2 because we're going into the future to one of my favorite decades, the 80s. So let's punch that in. Can, and, I, uh, can I get a malted milk again? Because I do like yeah, malted I think so. shakes. Okay. I know it's not yeah. good for me, but uh, what the hell? Well, it's not like hot dogs are good for me either, right? So, <laughs> do, we, do, do we have time to catch a Yankees game? No, I don't. That would be fantastic. Wouldn't I, that be great to see the yeah. Yankees at 54 or the Dodgers? Oh, my gosh, it would be incredible. Yeah. Oh, man. Don't get me started. Okay, I'll get the hot dogs and you. I'll plug in the numbers. You get the hot dogs and shakes. Okay, sounds good. <laughs> All right, here we go. great commercial i uh love leon redbone what about you you know he's one of my favorites he's he's uh, really underrated and uh i mean he's famous for doing the snowman and elf <laughs> <laughs> well it's true that's one um, of my favorite movies actually yeah well i remember we talked at christmas time when you, you talked about one of your favorites yeah. you know he lived in toronto where his family moved to toronto in the 60s right? he used yeah to play. he was from armenia right I think. that's right yeah yeah and, you know, he did the Mariposa Folk Festival, and um, he met Bob Dylan there. So that's kind of cool. Yeah, and I, I read that Dylan actually said that if he had a label, he would have signed Leon Redbone. So that's pretty high praise. Yeah, he was, uh, he, no one knew what to do with him. I mean, no. he just was so, what do you do with this, with this guy, you know, in the 70s and 80s? Well, and like, how many times was he on Carson? Like, Johnny loved him. And, uh, yeah. You know, he was he was cool because he was so unique and so him, and he just did his thing and playing songs that were straight out of the Tin Pan Alley days, right? So, yeah, and he, you know what? He he only had one album make the charts. I mean, that's pretty amazing. It is amazing, and you know what? I betcha that uh, who we're going to be talking about here was probably a Leon Redbone fan. I would bet money on it. Actually, we're. Uh, corner of New York Avenue and West 9th in Long Island and it looks like there was just an accident here but the ambulance is gone but uh, I was I just heard on the radio that Billy Joel got in a collision on his motorcycle um, mm-hmm. a lady had uh, run the red light and he hit her car with his motorcycle and flipped over and uh, ended up getting surgery on his wrist and his thumb 
and they ended up having to take some bone out of his thumb and he actually has no bone in the tip of his thumb on his left hand yeah he's, he's gonna end up being in the hospital here for a month and because this is April 15th, 1982, and he's going to be in the hospital for a month because of this, and uh, not sure whether he'll be able to play the piano again, and all kinds of commitments coming up, but uh, he ended up being able to play, and he ended up probably coming out even stronger, but uh, he does talk in the future about that thumb of his, how he's got no bone in the tip of his thumb, so it, it, he had to change his hand position to play. I, I do like his comment when there was a concern that he wouldn't play piano again. And at the time he said, you play with your elbows if you have to, because it's rock and roll. Yeah, that is the best quote, isn't it? And that, <laughs> that, That's a fantastic quote. Well, you know, I am a Billy Joel fanboy to the extreme. I, he was, for me, I think my most formative influence as a kid. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I was taking piano lessons and all of a sudden here was a guy on the radio who was playing piano, you know, and, and I thought, oh, that is so great. And, and he incorporated jazz. I mean, New York State of Mind is borderline, if not totally jazz. I mean, that's, that takes oh, a little, you know. Oh, it's it's a considered a standard now for jazz players. Yep. Mm-hmm, exactly. You see that song everywhere. Yeah. And, uh, He's well, quite a, a leave a tender moment alone. He went over to Paris, uh, worked with Toots Thielman, mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. Abs- you know the famous jazz harmonica player. Uh, so he was highly influenced by jazz. Right. So it makes sense to me because you you have a love of jazz, you have a love of piano. I just have to say, um, no offense to anybody, and this includes my wife, but Barbara Streisand should not sing New York State of Mind. Uh, not a great version. No, I agree. I've heard Streisand's versions. Uh, you know who I loved, though? I loved uh, the last play at Shea when Tony Bennett got up there with him. Wasn't that fantastic? Yeah, I, I have that DVD. It's great. It's fantastic. Yeah. and uh, But that works with Tony Bennett. Streisand, not so much. Well, that's right. And Billy was saying, uh, I, I watched an interview, and he was talking about that moment with Tony Bennett. And he says, you just never know what Tony's going to do. You know, because he's a he's a jazz guy, right? And and so you just go with what Tony uh, wants to do, and ninety nine percent likely it's going to be just incredible and amazing. And and sure enough, it was fantastic. Yeah. Well, as I'm saying, so it makes sense to me that the, the Billy Joel speaks to you on many levels, and and also I think you know you like history, and you you he sings a lot about history too, right? I mean, it's all there. So I mean, even well, he, go ahead. Oh no! Like uh, Billy the Kid, right? The you know that song, Billy the Kid, and uh, what now? He's the first to admit that it's probably not factually accurate, but still, well, like, who you know. who writes a song about called the Ballad of Billy the Kid, right? That's uh, exactly yeah, fantastic music. But even in 1982, one of his singles, which was off the album The Nylon Curtain, which he'd released in '92, was "Goodnight Saigon." Fantastic song. Well, that's right, and he. Yeah, that is an amazing song, and he had to push uh, the nylon curtain back because of this injury, actually, and because of this hospital stay. Right. But, uh, yeah, Nylon Curtain is one of my favorite Billy Joel albums, actually. I, I just listened to it again recently, and you know, because he's at the height of his powers, right? 1982. Amazing. Well, but it's funny, because it only made number seven in the U.S. It made number one in the Netherlands, I, whatever, and it only made number 12 in Canada. Um, because there was no, you know, my favorite song by Billy Joel is on that album. I love Allentown. 
I love oh, that. Oh, Allentown's a fantastic song. Love it. That's my favorite Billy Joel song of all time, bar none. And yeah, I and just you, think you know, there's there's song. another song about a little bit about history, right? Mm-hmm. So, but uh, him and Springsteen, of course, who are friends too, both weren't afraid to tackle those kind of issues in their music, right? And no, still learn. I mean, Springsteen's uh, his most recent album is fantastic for that. I mean, it's. Uh, I, I I keep going back to this, Tony. Maybe you agree or disagree, but I'm surprised Billy Joel's not doing anything in terms of putting out new music. It kind of shocks me. Yeah, he stopped. I mean, the the bridge, right, was his last pop album, and mm-hmm. uh, that's it. I mean, he he wrote a song called Christmas in. I'm not sure if I'm saying this right, but Christmas in Fallujah or Fallujah. Yeah. And uh, but that was it, and he's done nothing since. He wrote some classical music, of course, and he's and. Uh, you know, a couple of decades from now, from where we are now in 1982, he's going to start that amazing run at Madison Square Gardens, which is un- unprecedented. Well, and if and when the borders open, my friend, we are taking the Wayback Machine and trucking on down to New York City and catching one of those shows. Oh, absolutely. That's on the list for sure. Yeah, it's a, it's a, bucket, it's a, it's a bucket list thing for sure. Yeah, I agree. Well, Aaron, we were both in uh, high school. In 82, I would have been in middle school. I was 13, so, um, and you would have been in high school. I was 18. I was graduating, yeah. Well, I didn't graduate high school, but there you go. That's another story for another time. (laughs) (laughs) I had enough of high school by 18. I went, you know what, to hell with this noise, and I went to college. Well, and you know what? Billy Joel didn't graduate high school. He was one credit shy, and he left, and they gave him his diploma years later. Um, Yeah. They counted, I, I can't remember what they counted uh, towards his last credit, but they, they invited him back and, and gave him his high school diploma, which is pretty cool because by that time, I think he already had about seven honorary doctorates. Exactly. So, you know, <laughs> hey man, let's, let's, let's do this thing. Yeah, 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 for sure. But what a great time for the charts in the 80s. I mean, I love the 80s. And um, what was on the charts that week, April 15th? So I thought I'd do the album charts because, you know, you and I, you were probably buying cassettes and I was buying albums. So number, did you buy cassettes or albums? Well, I bought albums and then I switched to cassettes. As soon as as the Walkman came out, I was a cassette guy. Oh, fair fair enough. So number five was Rick Springfield. Success hasn't spoiled me yet. Oh, Um, yep. I had a chance to talk to Mr. Springfield and he is a lovely, lovely guy. Great sense of humor. Very personal. Number four is one of my favorite albums of the 80s, uh, the Jay Giles Band, uh, Freeze Frame. I, yeah, I love Jay Giles. That's a great album. And Freeze Frame's a fantastic song, yeah, too. Yeah, I, I mean, I like, I like almost everything by Jay Giles. Uh, number three was Vangelis, Chariots of Fire. Uh, oh, yeah, because that movie was huge. Huge. Number two was Joan Jett and the Black Hearts with I Love Rock and Roll. Mm-hmm. And number one was The Go-Go's, Beauty and the Beat. Oh, wow. But... You know what's interesting? is Number seven was Simon and Garfunkel, The Concert in Central Park, and number 40 was a brand new Beatles album that just entered the charts that week called Real Music. Can you imagine in 1982 a new Beatles album? Oh yeah, that's amazing. And you know, speaking of the uh, concert in Central Park, well, first of all, that broke attendance records at the time. What a huge number of people. I think Garth Brooks may have uh, broken that record later, but... I have, Aaron, the, uh, a piano book that is all of the songs on that concert, uh, the sheet music for them. So I got that when I was in grade nine. I think I bought that. And that's, 
pretty cool. That's very cool. You yeah. know, you know, a lot of the sheet music stuff is worth a lot of money these days. Yeah, I'll show you sometime. But it's uh, it's just a black uh, piano music book, and it's uh, it's all the tunes from like a concert in Central Park, and then of course it's got photos and everything else. And, That's uh, very cool. Very yeah, cool. very very neat. So, uh, we are about to head back to the future, and it's that time that you have a song picked for me, don't you? I do. To from I today's do. charts. And well, and I thought I would de- deviate from the pop charts. I thought I'd go to the country charts just for you. Oh, the country charts. Okay, well, you know what? Uh, let's let's punch in the uh, today's date in the uh, on the radio here. So. 202.1 and we'll jump back and while we're jumping I'll listen to the song and uh, what do you got for me? What's the song? It's called Hell of a View by Eric Church um, okay. Not a bad guitarist I don't know if you're going to like it but I, I, I went easy. Next time my friend, I'm not going easy Okay and I'm time. not going to go easy on you next week either. That's fair, fair enough but you may hate this, you may hate this, I don't know well, so I'm, I want to see what you think of it well, you know what? I've got a student in my uh, one my second period class who just worships the ground that Eric Church walks on. Are you so serious? If I, Are you really? If I tell her tomorrow, she'll be over the moon. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, this is a, this song is a number twelve on the country charts right now. Okay. Uh, so let well, me know what you think of it. Okay, so let's uh, hit the time machine button, and here we go. So, Eric Church, hell of a view. Well, I've got to tell you, you know that I've got some pretty well-rounded uh, musical tastes. Like, mm-hmm. I like a lot of them. There's only two types of music that I don't enjoy, uh, country and western. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that. I didn't. I really didn't. <laughs> um, you know what? I'm not a big country guy, but it's not a bad song. But uh, as I was remarking to you while it was playing, um, a little bit formula. Yeah. It sounds like it's being written in like the country version of the Brill Building or whatever, like it. Um, and uh, now I don't know the country charts whatsoever right now. So uh, the other thing I was mentioning to you is, is the twang getting a little more reintroduced into country music? It is indeed. There's a, there's two streams. There's the Taylor Swift country, whatever you want to call it, and then you have the twang coming back because, you know. I think there was, it's kind of a reaction to all the glossy country stuff that came out over the last decade. And uh, so a lot of the bands that were kind of very polished are, are kind of going by the wayside. And, and these, But you're right, there's a formula to it. And I mean, it's not a horrible song by any no, stretch. No, no, not at all. But, uh, and he's a good guitarist. I mean, Eric Church is a... He can hold his own. It's not really clearly demonstrated in that song, but he can hold his own as a guitarist, you know? Yeah, that was interesting. And um, I read an article, oh man, a couple of months ago, and it was a Canadian country guy saying, you know, why are Canadian country artists singing with a twang? Yeah. Like, what's with that? But I, I guess that's a thing. It, you know what? You want to sell records. I mean, there's a lot of them. There's, who's that guy from out, out, out west? Paul Brody? Paul Brady? Paul Brady. You'd think he was from Texas. He's from Alberta. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. Well, you know that was. I think you were pretty kind today, so thanks for that. Because uh, that, that was next time. Next time, not so much. I'm okay, you, I can't I'm wait. The gloves are off. The gloves are. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? Uh, my phone is showing a voicemail, so I'm really excited because 
you know, maybe our fans are, are finally reaching out to us. So I hope so. I hope so. Yeah, me too. I can't wait. Let's listen to this. Uh, let's listen to this voicemail. Hi, this is uh, Joe, the pharmacist from Shoppers Drug Mart, calling you. Just wanted to let you know your uh, diarrhea medicine is in. But before we release it, I'd like to inquire as to whether or not your uh, diarrhea is actually explosive. Anti-diarrhea medicine. Uh, you know what? We don't need to listen to that one right now. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I think we should take a pass on that. <laughs> um, do you want a scotch mint? <laughs> yeah, I might need one. <laughs> well, uh, you know what, though? Uh, any fans out there uh, by the way how the how the heck did my pharmacist get our number um, like well, oh, uh, anyway you must have given it to him and, yeah. and, and I don't know or maybe he's just googling you yeah maybe maybe but uh, that was a great trip though wasn't it I love going to New York City anytime we too. can go there I do too and, uh, can't wait till next week's adventure but I think uh you know what? I'm I'm ready to go home. I'm a little. I find time travel makes me hungry. I don't know about you. I'm always hungry. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'm well. always hungry. I could do. For, you know what I could go for before we meet? Well, we're not in New York anymore, but I could have gone for some pizza. But, yeah. Oh yeah, the New York pizza. You're saying that one with yeah. the type of cheese on it? There, yeah, right? uh, in, in Brooklyn. Uh, yeah, so good, so good. But well, next, next time, time we'll next have time. to stop there. Well, great trip. <laughs> Music for today's episode of the Wayback Music Machine podcast was written by Rick Denee. The show notes, chart selection, and Spotify playlist were created by Aaron Badgley. And the artwork, recording, editing, and sound production was done by Tony Stewart. If you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to tell a friend or two. And don't forget to click follow or subscribe on your favorite podcast player to get the latest episodes automatically. And we'd love it if you would leave us a review. You can also engage with the show by going on our website and leaving us a voicemail. We may even play your voicemail on an upcoming episode. Thanks for taking this road trip with us, and we'll see you next time on the Wayback Music Machine Podcast. Hey, turn the radio up. I love this song. The Wayback Music Machine podcast is a Stewie Tunes production. It's not just business, it's personal. And Signature Theatre's new musical, No Place to Go. When dedicated employee George discovers his company is relocating to Mars, he must decide whether to go and uproot his family's life or embark on an unknown venture. Featuring DC star Bobby Smith, No Place to Go is an irreverent and humorous musical with an enterprising twist. Now playing at Signature Theatre through October 16th. Get your tickets at SigTheatre.org.